Please open the Word of God once again to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to conclude what is the longest chapter in Mark's Gospel here. We saw in our last study, Jesus was put on trial and we saw his true confession of his identity before the high priest. Actually, we have here the holiest man who ever lived being condemned on false charges by false witnesses for claiming the truth, bearing witness of the truth. But over against Jesus' true confession, ironically, we now witness the sad story of the apostle Peter. And it's the sad story of his false confession. A confession that nearly ruins his life. Let's stand for the reading of God's word out of respect for what it is we hold in our hands. Let's read our text together. Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And he went out onto the porch. The servant girl saw him again and began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. That's the reading of God's inerrant word. You may be seated. Let's ask the Spirit of God to... Speak this word to our hearts. Oh, Father, as we come before your presence, we confess our need, we confess our slowness to hear, our hardness of heart. Often, Lord, we we hear what it is you're telling us and we simply refuse to make changes. And I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would move upon us and touch us and shake us and break us, that you might make us into the image of your Son. Lord, don't let your word fall upon us without changing us. We pray that you would use me as weak and incapable as I am to communicate your truth for the glory of Jesus Christ because he's worthy. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Just last month, we all learned of this massive earthquake that struck Turkey and parts of northern Syria. They say it was the deadliest quake that hit the region since the year 526 AD. Just imagine that. This is a terrible quake. The death toll is still mounting. In just a brief moment of time, just a moment of time, thousands of lives have been destroyed. Whole cities have been leveled to the ground. Skyscrapers flattened. And even in some places, the landscape itself has been radically changed where this earthquake has ripped chasms into the earth. They say that this region in Turkey is especially prone to earthquakes because it sits on this 
tectonic plate that is surrounded by several other tectonic plates. And they're all converging on this certain plate, this certain tectonic plate, and that creates all these tremors. And as I was thinking of this the other night, I thought, well, I'm glad that we here, where we live in the United States, do not sit on any major fault line. And as I continued thinking about that last night, I was thinking on the devastation of this recent earthquake, and it also dawned on me then that regardless of where we live in this world, and regardless of whether or not you live on a major fault line, your life is but a moment away from major devastation. Every one of us is only a moment away from devastation, a ruined life. And when we talk about failure, devastating failure this morning from the Word of God, we're not talking about failure on a generic human level. This isn't sort of the kind of failure where, well, you graduated without a perfect score, without a GPA of 4.0, okay? We're not talking about human error in the sense that all of us share. No, we're talking about failure from our text as failure that is of a moral nature, We're talking about failure today of following Christ. As Mark relates to us, Peter's testimony of this abysmal failure that nearly brings his life to ruin, two things should be clear to us. First of all, this is a message for each one of us. This is a message that each one of us can relate to because all of us have failed. All of us have morally failed Christ. We are well acquainted with sin, if we're honest. But also, Mark's not relaying this story just to keep you company. He's not relaying this story to you so you can feel good about your failure and just say, well, Peter failed too. That would miss the whole point of the message. No, Peter is calling you through the pen of John Mark to learn from failure. The point of this story and why it's been preserved for us is because we all need to learn from failure. And Peter's failure teaches us four vital lessons on the subject of failure. The first of these lessons on failure that we can learn from Peter's failure is that failure is only a step from faithfulness. Failure is only a step from faithfulness. If you're faithful to Jesus, you're not invincible. You are the enemy's target. That is, faithfulness to Christ and following him doesn't inoculate you to temptation. It doesn't render you invincible to falling. You can be walking with Jesus one day and denying him the very next. And we see that here in our text. It's true, failure is only one step, only a step away from faithfulness and Peter's proof of that. Because Peter was faithful to Christ. I know that the story of Peter's failure is unforgettably etched in the Bible as Peter's denial. And we remember that time he denies the Lord, he stoops so low, but don't forget this man's unique faithfulness to Jesus. Verse 54 tells us that it was Peter of all the twelve that followed Jesus this far. He's still following Jesus, though at a distance. John, the apostle, had apparently some sort of connection for being able to enter into the court of the high priest, his gospel would indicate. And apparently that is how John was able to get Peter into this courtyard. But Peter had no such connections. 
And Peter is here, now we find, in our text, on his own, surrounded in a very hostile environment. It's like a lamb among wolves. And I believe that he's here in this hostile environment because he was, to some extent, genuinely loyal to Christ. Now, some will insist that Peter is only following Jesus this far because he wants to prove his rash vow that he made to Jesus just a few moments ago in the upper room, as if all that's motivating Peter here is his self-confidence and pride. And I think that's reductionist. And I think that overlooks the positive character of this man that is consistently revealed through the Gospels. You see, Peter, when the disciples were caught in that terrible storm on the Sea of Galilee, was the one to step out on faith and follow Jesus, though everyone else stayed in the boat. Remember that? They see somebody walking on the water in the midst of this storm and they're afraid it's a ghost and that person on the water identifies himself as Jesus and Matthew tells us Peter said Lord if it's you command me and I will come out to you on the water in the storm and Jesus said come and Peter got out and walked by faith on the water that was Peter he was willing to leave the security of the boat and step out on faith for Jesus. It was Peter who, when all else were abandoning Jesus for his unpopular teaching, so that everybody forsook him, Jesus even looked to his own twelve and he said, Will you go away also? And it was Peter who spoke up for the rest and said, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter was faithful, Peter was loyal. To Jesus, but even one as devoted as Peter was to Jesus is a step away from failure. And here's two reasons why that is. First, faithfulness to Christ is ultimately the work of God. It is ultimately the work of God's grace, not our own doing. You see, Peter was not faithful simply because he had a tender heart and he had a bold personality. It wasn't simply all the goodness in Peter's life. If you want to know the true secret behind Peter's faithfulness, consider that moment from Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus commends Peter for recognizing his identity. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, Peter, you're so smart. Peter, you're so so sensitive. You're better than the rest. He says, Peter, blessed are you. Blessed are you, Simon Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus doesn't give the credit in Peter's life to Peter. He gives it to God in heaven. Because Jesus knew the good in Peter's life was God's doing. You know, that's exactly what Paul recognized. He said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And Christian, if there is anything good in your life, you need the attitude of humility that says to God, Lord, every good in my life, all that, that I see that is commendable, is your doing. And for that I give you the glory and praise. That's the humility that the people of God need. Peter's problem was that he wrongly attributed his faithfulness to himself. How do we know that? Well, if Peter had understood that the only leg he was standing on was the grace of God, he would never have neglected Jesus' warnings in the upper room. Peter, you're going to fall away from me. I will not do that. You see, Peter didn't realize The leg he was standing on was the grace of God. If Peter had understood that the only limb he was sitting on was the grace of God, he would never have 
fail to admit his own capacity for moral failure. But he didn't admit his failure. He said, I'll never do that, Jesus. Because he didn't understand that his faithfulness was ultimately attributed to the grace of God. Rather, he misattributed his faithfulness to himself. But there's another reason failure is only a step from faithfulness. And that is, it's the faithful who are especially prone to failure. Especially prone to the failure of pride and self-confidence. You see, faithfulness to Christ does not exempt anyone, yourself included, from pride. Your faithfulness to Jesus doesn't exempt you from self-confidence. And that was Peter's chief problem. Prideful self-confidence. You know, in martial arts training, they tell you that you must use your enemy's strengths against him. And that's exactly what pride does. The dangerous thing about pride is that it can so subtly use your greatest strengths against you. Are you intelligent? Are you wise and clever? Do you consider yourself especially gifted in a certain area? Especially skilled? Are you faithful to Christ? Have you been serving the Lord? Have you done much for God? Are you good at what you do? Whatever your positive qualities, pride will use them against you to destroy you. And pride will tempt you to trust yourself then rather than the word of Christ. But Christ says to you at the same time, Without me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, if any man thinks he stands, beware, lest you fall. However faithful you are to Christ, you're only a step from failing. Let that reality keep you humble and dependent on the grace of God. We must learn that failure is only a step from faithfulness. But a second lesson we can observe from Peter's failure is that failure without repentance leads to destruction. Again, we're talking about moral failure here. And any moral failure in your life that is sin, that is not repented of, is taking you somewhere. It is leading you down to destruction, whether or not you realize it. How is this demonstrated in Peter's failure? Well, Mark's gospel has already shown to us that Peter had a problem with self-confidence and the fear of man. And we're not going to look at all that, but he doesn't, recognize this for the serious problem it is. Jesus, of course, warns him. Jesus, of course, calls him to pray that he would not enter into temptation in the garden. But Peter does not recognize the situation he's in, his own weakness, and so he's headed for trouble. But notice the setting, verse 66. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, apparently it was a colder night there in this time in the spring in Palestine, She looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus the Nazarene. The high priest lived in a palace. This palace had many servants for his household. And typical of many Mediterranean homes at the time, this palace involved an open courtyard where the the courtyard was enclosed by the rooms of the surrounding house. That's the setting here. And Mark says that Peter was below in the courtyard, which suggests that Jesus is presently above, somewhere above Peter, in a room being interrogated. 
while the high priest and his witnesses are threatening Jesus, Peter is suddenly threatened by a young servant girl, perhaps a teenager. Mark says she looked at Peter. And he uses an intensified verb in the Greek. Luke says she was looking intently at him. That is, she was staring. She was gazing at him. It's the kind of thing that you tell your child, don't do that, that's rude, don't stare, right? Well, she's staring at Peter. And to this point, Peter's been hoping just to blend in, just to fit in and hide. But now he's beginning to feel extremely uncomfortable because he's being singled out by this gaze. And then this girl straight up says to him, you also were with Jesus the Nazarene. Verse 68, but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. Now, notice Peter's threefold denial here. Follows a threefold descent into sin. We could say he takes three steps here away from Christ and three steps toward destruction. I'm calling Peter's first denial, step number one, a weak moment. It began with a weak moment moment. Now that sounds so insignificant, doesn't it? To say that this first denial was a weak moment. By referring to this first denial as a weak moment, I hope you realize I'm not minimizing what Peter's doing here. I'm not minimizing the fact that this was sinful. That this moment of weakness for Peter was caving into sin. But I do hope that you realize the sins which absolutely cripple and devastate us so many times often begin with what simply seems to be a weak moment. Just a weak moment. This is the moment for which Peter should have been prepared. Peter should have been prayed up for this moment in the garden. Jesus had warned him in the upper room, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Luke twenty two thirty one. Jesus had warned Peter then, just a while later, in the garden of the weakness of his flesh, and he said, pray, Peter, pray that you do not enter into temptation. But Peter didn't acknowledge the weakness of his flesh, nor did he seek the grace of God. He didn't seek to fortify his faith because he didn't see his weakness. And so this becomes the moment when he's suddenly caught off guard by temptation and he gives in. He denies Christ. What about you, Christian? Are you aware of the weakness of your flesh? And if you are, what are you doing about it? You know how you answer those questions will determine whether or not you're experiencing victory. Whether or not you cave to the flesh or you rely on the enabling grace of God and experience his deliverance. God always promises to provide his people a way of escape out of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But Peter will later write in 1 Peter 5, 8, perhaps having this very moment in mind, that we must be sober and we must be vigilant because we have an enemy who's real and is seeking to take advantage of us. And he says, if you are not sober or vigilant, the devil's going to have you for lunch. That's the force of his, of his warning to us. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter should have repented right here and now. He should have woken up and taken strength. But verse 68 continues, and he went out onto the porch. No repentance here. At this point, later manuscripts actually add and a rooster crowed. 
That may very well be the case, by the way. Uh, The rooster does crow at some point before verse 72 because Jesus will tell Peter or had told Peter before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Verse 72, the rooster will crow a second time. So sometime the rooster crows, and I think there's no reason to doubt it happens here. I mention that because Peter had every reason to be alarmed. The first sounding of that rooster, that was like God's natural alarm to Peter saying, wake up, stop sleeping, wake up, put on strength, pay attention, remember the word of Christ. You just denied him once. You're about to do so again. I'd imagine Peter's likely showing some physiological response here. His heart's racing. He's beginning to sweat. Perhaps his hands are beginning to shake and tremble with all the stress that he's under. But it's really his behavioral response that's most remarkable and which gives him away. Instead of a casual denial to this young servant girl or some kind of, you know, just laughing off her, her thought, her, her remark. Peter's a bit too adamant. He very passionately says, I don't know the man. I don't even know what you're talking about. And it's very evident he's uncomfortable. Visibly uncomfortable, he suddenly stands and exits the courtyard so that his behavior betrays and further convinces this young lady, this man was with Jesus. So look at verse 69. The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. This is one of them. She's convinced. And Mark here indicates this same girl who first confronts Peter just wouldn't let it go. In the first case, she confronts Peter directly. Now she begins telling those around, this is one of them. And you can imagine Peter's alarm As he notices, she's pointing him out to others. He can see them beginning to look his way. Have you ever experienced something like this, Christian? Brother or sister, have you ever been in a situation, maybe it was at work, in the public workplace, and you were put on the spot suddenly, and everyone was looking to you, what do you believe? Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, really? and all eyes are upon you, what will you do? What will you do? Jesus said his disciples are to be a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hid. Did you know that was Jesus' design for you? That's Jesus' design for the church. Jesus doesn't want you to blend in. Jesus doesn't want you to hide. Jesus wants you to stick out for him so you can point others to where they can find life. So it was true for Peter, it's true today. The true disciple of Jesus cannot simply blend into this world. And that means the eyes of the world are upon us. What will we do? What did Peter do? Will you stand with this world or will you stand with Christ? Look at what Peter does. Several are now suspiciously looking at him. And after this weak moment, Peter takes a second step. It's a second step away from Christ toward destruction, and I'm calling it step number two, a willing move. It began with a weak moment. It continued with a willing move. Of course, Peter's will was involved from the start. But what's noteworthy here is that he's just witnessed his own weakness in denying the Lord. He's not caught off guard here. 
Peter's next move here is to willfully reinforce his sinful behavior. He hears this girl pointing him out. This is one who follows Jesus. And the crowd begins to stare at him. But verse 70 tells us, but again, but again, he denied it. Instead of repenting of his initial failure, instead of repenting after hearing God's warning with the rooster sounding the first time, Peter again denies Christ. And we might think to ourselves, Peter, don't you realize what's happening? Don't you realize where your sin is taking you? But we need to be honest about ourselves. We know what this is like. Maybe there's a pet sin in your life, some vice, some sinful habit, some sinful behavior. It all began with perhaps a weak moment. You were caught off guard by some temptation, but then instead of repenting, instead of forsaking that sin, you yielded to it again. You yielded yourself once again, and by doing that, you were reinforcing that sinful behavior. It was a willful move. You know you're violating the word of God. You know you're quenching the Holy Spirit, but you do it anyway. Your choice, like Peter's, is really this simple. Whenever you're in sin, your choice is really this simple. You can repent, or you can reinforce that sinful behavior. You can repent of your sin or you can reinforce that simple behavior. Verse 70 continues, And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. Matthew says one of them actually remarked, You're a Galilean, for even the way you talk gives you away. Matthew 26, 73. And to appreciate what's happening here, you just got to consider the regional difference between Galilee to the north and Judea to the south. It's, it's much like perhaps our own nation where if somebody visits us from the deep south, all they really have to do is open their mouth and begin to talk and you pretty much can tell they're not from around here. That's what's happening. That's the situation Peter's in. They could all tell he was from Galilee and the problem with that was that's where all of Jesus' followers were from. So Peter's beginning to feel the game is over. And as if things can't get any more grim for Peter, John 18, 26 says, at this time, one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one Peter's, (laughs) being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, steps forward and says, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Now an eyewitness steps forward and he says, I saw you in the garden. The game's up. The game's up. And Peter now takes a third step away from Christ. It began with a weak moment. It continues with a willing move. But it ended here with a wretched mess. Peter takes another step. Look at verse 71. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you're talking about. Peter wasn't necessarily cussing like a sailor, though he was a sailor. But he was saying something at least to this effect, I swear I don't know this man. And I will be damned if I do. He says, God, give me judgment. God, Damn me to hell if I'm lying. I don't know this man. I don't know what you're talking about. What was so significant about this denial of Jesus? 
Well, I don't think you can really appreciate how wretched a mess this is unless you understand how faithful Jesus has been to Peter. When we understand how faithful Jesus has been to Peter all along, forgiving him, teaching him, being patient with him, when we understand all that Jesus has done for Peter and all he's poured into Peter's life, it's at that moment that we realize this is low. This is sad. This is wretched. And Christian, When you realize all that Christ has done for you, how faithful he's been to you, how he's been there all along in your life, even after every sin, to forgive you and to hold you up and to restore you, do you realize how low it is, how wretched it is to continue willfully in that sin? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's what's happening here. Peter, full knowing what he's doing, feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, pushes that aside. Also, from the brevity of this account, you might get the idea this sort of just happens in an instant of time. But really, Peter's three denials transpire over Jesus' entire trial before Caiaphas, before the high priest. This is over the span of of almost a couple hours at least. Peter had plenty of time to reflect upon what he was doing and to repent. His first denial, sure, caught him off guard, but his second and third were premeditated. Just like many of our willful continuation in sin. So the second lesson we observe from Peter's failure is that failure without repentance is leading us somewhere. It leads to destruction. Peter's sin brought him lower than he ever thought possible. Only moments ago, he told Jesus in the upper room, I'll never do that. I will never do that. I'll die for you, but I will not go that low. Just moments later, look how low his sin brought him. And it's been said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will always cheat you out of the deal. It'll never deliver what it promises. Peter's failure would have surely destroyed him, just like it destroyed Judas, were it not for what happens next and how God uses the failure in Peter's life. But a third lesson then, praise the Lord, that we learn from Peter's failure is that failure can and must bring us to brokenness. Failure can and must bring us to brokenness. Verse 72, immediately a rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. Luke writes, and he went out and wept bitterly. Peter was suddenly a broken man. And by brokenness, I am referring to that condition of the soul which the Bible describes as a state of true humility before God. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. How could one who had been so hardened then in his heart against Jesus be so suddenly melted as to break down and weep bitterly over his sin? Well, the answer is brokenness. It's what we all need. 
But then we must ask, how do we get from failure, how do we get from even a wretched mess in our life that we make of it to brokenness? I want you to know it's not automatic. There are many who hit rock bottom and never repent. There are many who hit rock bottom, they make a wretched mess of their lives without being broken before God. You see, you can be humbled without being humble. God humbled the devil, but the devil isn't humble, is he? And you can experience the humbling hand of God upon your life without ever responding in humility to the Lord. That's what God wants to do. He wants you to respond in humility and brokenness before him. That's true repentance. So please notice how God brought Peter from failure to brokenness because it's how he wants to bring you and I from our failures to brokenness. First, by the word of Christ. Verse 72 tells us that Peter suddenly remembered the words that Jesus had spoken to him. Those remarks Jesus had made in the upper room. God brought it to mind. And by that word of Christ, Peter instantly realized Jesus' word was true. And for a moment then, he saw himself and his own self-confidence and pride through the eyes of Jesus. And he said, how disgusting. He saw himself for how Jesus had seen him that time. And he was horrified. And if we've hardened our hearts by refusing to repent of sin for a moment, we need to open and remember the word of Christ. Why? Because Jesus left you the Holy Scriptures to correct you and to rebuke you and to train you and to instruct you. Second Timothy 3.16 says, Christian, you need to saturate your mind with the word of God so that you can navigate life's temptations and so that one day when you do wake up and you, you hear that rooster crow, God gets your attention and you realize how far away you are from God you'll know how to find your way back. Peter did. He remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Plant God's word deep in your heart and mind so that your sinful failures won't be the end of you, but they will rather lead you to broken humbleness and repentance before God. God brought Peter from failure to brokenness by the word of Christ and, secondly, by the love of Christ. Where do we see that? The moment Peter denies Christ for the third time, two things providentially happen at the same moment. You just have to imagine it. First, as Peter is swearing most adamantly, the rooster immediately sounds a second time. And at that same moment, Jesus, we're told in Luke's gospel, is being brought into the courtyard. Jesus apparently His captors are transferring him to another building so that at this time, Luke tells us, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Imagine it. One commentator says, no phrase in the Gospels is more charged with feeling than this. Peter, in this moment of his worst failure, making a wretched mess of his life, sees Jesus. And for what must have seemed an eternity to the apostle, Jesus and Peter lock eyes. Now here's the question. What did Peter see? 
in the battered and bruised face of Christ, swollen with the beatings he just received. What did Peter see in those eyes? Was it fire? Was it vengeance? Was it hate? What did Peter see? At least there was, for Peter, incredible rebuke. But what we do know from the greater context is that Peter saw love. Peter saw in the eyes of Jesus love put to grief. It's like a father or a mother who's just been stung by their child but loves them. And that was enough to break his heart. Heart, we're told, so that Mark literally says, having cast himself in the Greek, he began to weep. He went out and wept bitterly. And surely there was thoughts in his mind, I'll never follow Christ again. I'll there never be any more to my life. I'll never do anything for God. I'm a failure. I'm a wretched, wretched failure. And he began to weep uncontrollably. I wonder for those of us who love Jesus how we would feel if our sinful rage and temper or perhaps our sinful fantasies and pleasure were suddenly interrupted by the awareness, that most uncomfortable awareness that Jesus is looking upon us. And he's looking upon us with eyes of love put to grief. Well, God brought Peter from failure to brokenness by the word and love of Christ. But thirdly, by the prayer of Christ. We know this because only hours ago in the upper room, in Luke 22, 31 and 32, we're told, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. I prayed for you, Peter, Jesus says, that your faith may not fail. And when, when, Jesus was confident, when you are turned again, strengthen your brothers. When you repent, help your brothers. Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail, and he knew in the end his prayers would be answered. Now here's the good news. If you know Jesus Christ, the scriptures tell us on multiple occasions, even in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that Christ forever lives to make intercession for you. So that though I fear my faith would fail, Christ will hold me fast. If you know Jesus Christ, you will persevere because he will preserve your faith no matter how far you go. We all fail Christ, you see. But these failures can and must bring us to brokenness, which is true repentance. Peter shows us in his failure that to the degree we get a hold of what God's word says about our sin as well as his love and commitment to us to that same degree we will be broken over our sin. And brokenness isn't a bad thing. I know it sounds that way. Brokenness, in light of our sin, is a new beginning. This chapter closes with Peter devastated, broken. He's so shaken he'll never be the same. But when he does reappear in Acts chapter 2, the change is for the better. Because God puts him together a new man. Because in God's economy, in God's sovereign plan, our brokenness precedes our usefulness for God. Let God use your failures and bring you to brokenness. 
From Peter's failure, we've observed failure is only a step from faithfulness. Failure without repentance leads to destruction. And failure can and must bring us to brokenness. But a fourth and final lesson we observe from Peter's failure is that no failure is greater than God's mercy. No failure is greater than God's mercy. How, how can we know this? Well, Mark's gospel gives us a clue to this end. Even though Peter never appears himself elsewhere in Mark's account, in the final chapter in Mark 16, 7, after Jesus' resurrection, there's a statement made by the angels to Jesus' disciples. And it indicates that Jesus was not finished with Peter. Jesus was eager to see Peter once again. He wasn't done because Jesus is merciful. John includes this scene at the close of his gospel where after Jesus' resurrection, he appears to his disciples on the shore of Galilee and over breakfast, he asks Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Why did Jesus ask that three times? Peter was perturbed. He, 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 he was grieved that Jesus would ask him finally a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Obviously, Jesus knew Peter loved him, but Jesus asked Peter, do you love me for each time Peter denied him? Jesus is challenging Peter to fortify his love. But more striking than that, is how gentle Jesus is toward Peter. You can't miss that in John 21. Jesus forgives Peter. Jesus receives Peter. Jesus just wants to encourage Peter. Peter, you need to love me more. Jesus receives Peter because that's what mercy is. It's not a system of merits that's awarded to the highest performer. Peter, you measured up. I'll forgive you. No, mercy is God's kind compassion upon sinners in need. And no one's mercy comes near to the mercy of God's. No, no one's mercy comes near to the mercy of God who we're told his mercy is everlasting. So no failure then is greater than God's mercy. Don't let that bounce off your ears as some sort of evangelical cliche that you heard in church all your Christian life. No, this is a matter of life and death. Judas failed Christ. Judas failed Christ, but having no genuine relationship with Christ, he despaired. And without any hope of forgiveness, he hung himself. Peter also miserably failed Christ, but having a genuine faith in Christ, he came to his resurrected Lord, and there he found in Christ mercy. His mercy is more. Where sin abounded, his grace so much more abounded. God's mercy is greater and Peter's despair then gave way to joy and to restoration. That can be you this morning, Christian. That can be you, brother or sister. That can be you, even if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you will come to him and cry out for his mercy, you will find his mercy is greater than your sin. This story's here in this gospel because we all need to learn from failure. There's no exception. We all must learn from failure. So how can an honest disciple of Jesus learn from Peter's failure? Well, if God's not convicting you this morning of some particular sin, there's still a message for you here. 
that you must be warned. God is warning you. You're only a step away from failing. And you need to fortify yourself. Maybe this is a call for some in this room to quit being idle and distracted by the affairs of this life that have entangled you and to spend more time in prayer and the word preparing your heart because your flesh is weak and you're in a war. But maybe the Spirit of God has put His finger on some specific sin in your life. Maybe it's a sinful attitude or an addiction. And you're trapped and you can't get out. And maybe it even began with that weak moment. But you've not repented. You've reinforced it and you've found yourself in a wretched situation. You don't know how to get out. What do you do? Well, our text is telling us God wants to bring you to brokenness. And it's like, maybe it's like the Holy Spirit's asking you, are you sick enough? Are you fed up with it? Are you going to continue in this sin? How long will you go without repenting and returning to Christ? Like Peter, if we will humble ourselves before God, that's where we will find mercy. The Bible says, whoever covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. It's time to learn from our failure and humble ourselves before God, whatever that means for you. Maybe you're so deep in sin, you're doubting the mercy of God. And you'd, you'd say, I don't, I don't know if God would receive me. You need to believe Christ. That he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. If you will cry out for mercy, you will find that as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord will show compassion on you who fears him. Psalm 103.13 And because the Bible teaches God is holy, and we've all failed and fallen short of his laws, I hope it's clear that none of us are going to get into God's kingdom by our merits. We all need God's mercy. Our failures disqualify us from a holy God. And so, if you've not come to Christ on the basis of his mercy and said, I'm a failure, I've sinned against you, I need the righteousness and mercy of Jesus Christ. You need to do that today. Because otherwise you will never see the kingdom of God. You need the mercy of God through a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray.